Hey guys, and welcome to Stir the Pot, a podcast all about food and the people that love it. We had a slightly longer break over Christmas than expected, um, so you could almost call this a season two, but I'm very excited about the next few episodes and what's coming up the rest of this year. I have some great guests lined up, and the first few episodes we've already recorded are really fun ones. If you want to email me with any suggestions or uh, of guests you might want to see in a future episode, or maybe just a comment on anything about the podcast, do drop me a line at stirpotpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow me online at The Boy Who Bakes on pretty much everything. Uh, and my website is, of course, theboywhobakes.co.uk, where you can find lots of delicious recipes, including going forward, hopefully, recipes from the guests that I have cooked. On today's episode, I am joined by the wonderful Ellie Pear of Pears Cafe in Bristol. She's also the author of Feast Days and Fast Days, a cookbook on the 5-2 diet. It's a really fun conversation. I've waffled enough, so let's get straight into today's episode. But it's because generally the attitude is that simply eat something really, really good. Yeah. And because it is really good, you can't afford to buy a lot of it. So yeah. you just have something really good and small rather yeah. than gluttony, which mm-hmm. I think is, you know, generally better. Absolutely. Um, so we should probably get officially started. Okay. Um, so as always, we start with one question, which is, um, how did food become such a big part of your life? Um, sorry to be yet another person to say the same thing, but I, it always has been. Like, there was not some like no, moment like, oh my God, my life has changed. I grew up in a family where um, food and joy were inextricably linked. Sure. And it is the, you know, it's a central part of every um, good memory that I have. Um I don't come from a family where I was taught to cook at home. I didn't cook with my mum and my grandma. It's not like that at all. Mm. But um, food... So you're avoiding certain cliches then. It's fine. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, no history of baking yeah. at home at all. Um, we never used to sit around and have a Sunday roast together. None of those things that so many people talk about with their like family food memories. But um, I think good food and delicious food and getting joy from food was always a given Mm. that was just what life was like um pretty much every weekend when I was growing up so I grew up in southeast London Mm. and my grandma lived near here in Stanford Hill and pretty much every weekend um on a Saturday we'd go to Greenwich Market and on a Sunday we would um go and see my grandma all the other way around and uh, my grandma would always put on a massive spread on the mm. table. Not really much that she'd cooked herself, but kind of, sure. um, de- you know, Jewish deli stuff. So big piles of bagels and luckers and fish balls and all that sort of stuff. And having delicious food and filling the table with it and making people eat, even if they're not hungry. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> the Jewish grandma way. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and we used to go out to eat a lot as well. I okay. think we, um, it wasn't until I was older that I realised how lucky I was mm. that, you know, families spend their money on different things and um i used to have friends that got you know ridiculously extravagant birthday presents or you know used to get given loads of pocket money we didn't have either of those things but um we used to get taken to restaurants Mm. and you know i met my friends now i think god i didn't go out to a restaurant until i was you know i had my first uh went to bernie when i was 17 or whatever but we from little kids always went out a lot so i knew how to you know, behave in a restaurant and how to... <laughs> I was you know, going to say, were you one of the annoying children? No, not at all. No, no, no. I wouldn't all. expect you to be like no, that. No, no, always, not. like, I think I was a well-behaved kid generally, okay. but um, just generally just knew... making up pretty Yeah, yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, going to restaurants and, um, you know, being, sitting with grown-ups and ordering and not being fussy and yeah. stuff like that was just part of our childhood, mm. which is really lucky. So it made absolute sense for me to go into working in hospitality because for me that it's like you know to make money out of something that is such a nice part of your life was like obvious i mean to me that's the the ultimate thing um when i was a kid my parents taught me 
many things, but the one thing that's always stuck out in my mind is a conversation we had about um, what you should do as a living. And so mm-hmm. both my parents are self-employed. Yeah, mine too. And they taught me that it's much better to have a job that makes you happy as long as you can pay your rent. Yeah. Uh, rather than have a job that makes you miserable but makes you millions. Yeah. And I couldn't care less about money. No. As long as I'm happy and yeah. I'm doing something that I love. Life is too short. Completely. So the fact that I get to work around food every single day makes me inordinately happy. Yeah. Because... It doesn't feel at work because, you know, I made bagels this morning yeah. in my pyjamas. That's, yeah, that's, that's my job, dream. you know. Um, I, I think it's it's so true. I feel really, really... I, I won't say is lucky the right word because I've worked hard to make mm, it happen. Of course, But yeah. I've, I've um, put all of my energy into creating a job that doesn't feel like I'm, you know... Well, I'm definitely working hard, but um, I never grew up with a kind of two parents doing a nine-to-five. Both my parents were self-employed. So... Um, I grew up with that feeling of, you know, creating a job that you, how you want it to be. And that was always what I was aiming for. Totally, totally. So if um, you didn't really learn to cook from your mum, what was the... (laughs) She'll laugh when she listens to this. (laughs) Well, because I did read something in the book about how you find it funny that she now calls you for recipes. Yeah, she does all the time. (laughs) I love that though. No, my mum, like, loves food and I don't want to... um, I don't want to put it down anyway. No, No, I'm joking. No, but it's not that she doesn't know what she's talking about. She just, like... Um, it was a different thing. It, it wasn't was... like she was the obsessive cook at home. <laughs> she definitely wasn't. But what was what was the food in the home like? So not um, not the the grandmother or not the no. okay. Eating so out. What did you eat at home? um, really big on if someone else can do something better, then buy it in. Nothing. So wrong with that. um, you know, like uh, always had really good bread, really good butter, yeah. um, uh, fresh veg, uh, pasta. There was definite teenage years of a lot of ragu and dolmio and pasta, <laughs> like a lot. Yeah. And I stopped eating meat as well. So um, mm. in the 80s and 90s, it was a very different food landscape for vegetarians. And so there was a... Yeah. I think I basically kept Linda McCartney going through the 90s. <laughs> well, oh God, no, mm, she died. Born sausages. <laughs> No, but the business was the business was still there. Yes. It's fine. No. Sorry, Linda. Um, no, I ate a lot of veggie sausages, a lot of veggie burgers. Yeah. Um, but my mum always used to do like a massive salad with um, what we were eating as well, mm. and um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, a lot of pasta. Yeah, I think like most teenagers. Like most teenagers. Yeah. yeah. So you are pescatarian yeah, now. Have I am. you always been? generally pescatarian no so um i ate meat until i was nine okay. which sounds really young to decide mm. stop but basically my older sister who's two and a half years older than me she stopped like loads of 12 13 year olds sure. do they just you know uh the body shop and against animal testing yeah. and animal rights and stuff was huge at the time so this is late 80s mm. um and i think young people started to become more aware about that as an option yeah totally um and my that really unusually my dad's best friend had been a vegetarian since the 50s so he was totally aware of like it was an option Mm. never ever came from a kind of meat and two veg family at all so it wasn't um it wasn't like how can you even do this it's not an option it was an option um my sister started and i copied her yeah because i was a little sister and that's what i did and then i think she was a veggie for about a month or something um and then (laughs) i carried on yeah and then i didn't eat um I stopped eating fish as well, and then I was totally veggie until I was in my early 20s, and then I, the more that I got into food, the more that I realised how, what a huge chunk of things I was missing out Mm -hmm. on not eating fish. Sure. And I really missed it, and um, I started eating fish again, but I think that that whole period has massively informed the way that I cook, because... Definitely. my parents were always adamant that if I was not going to eat meat, I had to make up the protein somewhere else. And yeah. like protein and thinking about protein was forefront in our mind food wise for all of my teenage years. So I don't think a lot of people, young people will be able to tell you like where if you eat a, a full diet of you yeah. know, meat and everything, then you're not ever forced to think about like, where am I getting my calcium from? Sure. Where am I getting my meat from? Whatever. Um, my dad has some real kind of thing with calcium as well. Like, <laughs> you want to you be like a big, strong Dutch children and uh, and uh, drink lots of milk. So we always, you know, thinking about um, nutrition was yeah. something that was kind of 
hammered into me. It's like, you are not allowed to do this unless you sure. get it from somewhere else. So whereas now, as I've grown up and my um, knowledge has grown, I've realised that there's actually loads more places that you can get it from. Sure. Um, I didn't eat, used to eat a lot of kind of lentils and pulses and stuff like that, which is where a huge amount of my protein comes from now. Um, when I was growing up, I'm always thinking about cheese and eggs and other sources of protein. Yeah. So I've never, when I put food together and I, put, I create a dish... I know that there's loads of different ways that you can do that. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're a meat eater, starting with meat as the centre is often, you know... Yeah, that's the from an, thing from an English yeah. From an English approach, yeah. Totally. Like all around the world, that's not how people do it. And no, they structure no. their plates in different ways, so... That's yeah. much more... Um, comes from a better place than my very short-lived... Uh, I wasn't even vegetarian. I... When I don't know what age I must have been, and maybe 10, 11 was when the BSC crisis hit yeah. with Mad Cow. And so I banned my family from eating beef, which was, you know, as a very northern, you know, kind of old fashioned yeah. family in some ways, we ate a lot of mints. Yeah. And so it was a weird thing that we went on to eat uh, mints. And then the reason I stopped is almost another cliche. So it yeah. wasn't a bacon sandwich, because obviously <laughs> that's pork. Um, my dad took me to McDonald's. Yeah. But it lasted, I think in my head it lasted about a year. Um, but it was just it was just beef. I still, yeah. <laughs> still ate everything else. So what never... did your family swap to then when you said, well, you're not having We did corn mints, a lot. Did you? Yeah. And I don't know if those two things actually are at the same time in my head. But I mm. definitely remember that for a, a period of time, my mum decided to try a lot of corn products. Yeah. So we had corn mints all the time when I was yeah. a kid. And I didn't mind it, but it does have a very specific taste. And I think also, I'd rather not have like, a I supplement. I understand. I'm not going to... I've got many, many years of experience behind mm. me now, so I'm not going to preach to anyone about, like, <laughs> if you stop eating meat, to not go down that route. But um, a lot of people swap to um, veggie sausages mm. and burgers and stuff like that because they need to do that instant swap and like swap something yeah, it makes out sense swap for in. your brain i guess but that stuff is really processed uh-huh. it's really expensive and there's loads of other things you can do yeah. and when i hear about people experimenting with stopping eating meat and just like oh so i bought some veggie sausages it's like try and totally yeah, think, think outside a of new that. way of, yeah, of eating completely. and don't try and swap stuff in and out because otherwise you're going to be stuck in a rut of having to shop in supermarkets and places where you can buy yeah. those things and you can actually do so much more than that. It's always felt slightly strange to me as well, the fact that you'd want to give up meat but then eat something that's replicating meat. That um, doesn't make sense But to people me. give up meat for all sorts of different reasons. No, of course. It, I mean, I'm assuming in that way it's probably not coming from an ethical point of view because mm. that wouldn't... To, to, to kind of the way my brain works, I wouldn't fit... That wouldn't fit with me, the idea that you're going to give up sausages, going to give up bacon... But then have something that looks like yeah. the same thing. I'd rather do exactly. But some people same. love meat, but hate the thought of eating an animal. That's fair enough. Yeah, My reasons for being for not eating meat have changed over the years, sure. and I'm I don't. For a while, I felt a bit kind of guilty about my you know my reasonings and if somebody mm. asked me why I don't eat meat being able to defend myself or explain myself and then I just was at peace with that I thought well you grow up and I'm not the nine-year-old that I was yeah. and when I stopped eating meat I copied my sister mm-hmm. and then it grew into a I don't actually like the thought of eating animals and as sure. I've got older and I've learned more um it's realizing how heavily you tread on the planet when you yeah, eat meat that, that's that's my main reason now and if I was I was reading about a girl the other day who has who committed for a year to only eating meat that she had killed herself, wow. which is pretty extreme down the line. Yeah, but yeah. I really think that people need to have a um, be honest with themselves about Completely. what they're eating. Yeah. And um, chicken breasts don't just walk around <laughs> on their own. God, what a gross thought! <laughs> yeah. But you know, if if you're gonna eat chicken, you got to eat all of it. And uh, yeah, if you're gonna, um, you can't. It's not okay to just eat steak and not be okay with the yeah. thought of obviously people not everyone's got to love offal but you can't pretend that um, it doesn't exist it doesn't exist yeah. yeah no i remember having the conversation with um harry eastwood and mm-hmm. obviously she is not a vegetarian she has just released a meat book yeah but we had some really interesting conversations about the same sort of thing where you have to have an ethical standpoint so i've always been of the the mindset that you know if you're going to eat meat then a you should be buying uh the best you can because it's not uh, the same manufacture process you know Mm -hmm. i think one of the worst things that we do is our huge manufacture of meat which is causing a massive amount of damage to the planet and so if you're buying from a good farm and i know it sounds really kind of middle class and you know privileged yeah but then i think harry raised a good point of well maybe eat less meat then absolutely and that's what i've kind of settled i would i my my um 
advice and hope is that everybody would always um, just really think about what yes, they're doing totally. and um, eat better and eat less. It's yeah. a really simple way to approach it. I think um, the fashion for um, trying unusual and cheaper cuts mm. um, is wonderful. It's been Definitely. going on for a few years now. St. John, like, yeah. you know, leading the charge. Um, and people trying things with cheaper cuts mm-hmm. um using slow cookers all that sort of thing which you know out of the recession all sorts of good things happen yeah. for food and uh, you know totally. people have to make ways of making things work and i know um, my friend rosie who you had on a while ago she is absolutely brilliant at yeah, using cheap absolutely. cuts um and also like with the what i was saying about um it's a very english approach to center your food around <laughs> meat in other countries yeah, like in, in asia um, in China, meat is like a garnish. Yeah. You know, you don't have a big plate of meat. You have the vegetables and then the meat is mm-hmm. a part of it. And if a family um, bought a really beautiful piece of meat and used it in that way rather than trying to put it as the centre of each person's yeah. plate, the price goes right down. Yeah. So then you can afford to have really fantastic meat. You just have to bulk it out with other stuff. So it's yeah. cheaper. It's better for you. It's just, you know, and you don't need to go the whole hog and be and stop eating meat, but yeah. to treat it as a, a with, part of the meal rather than the centre. Yeah, it. I think it's also treating it with more respect because mm-hmm. I think we treat meat as a throwaway product, you know, um, we'd buy a chicken and cut the breast off, maybe, and we, some people Makes might me use. So this. Sad. <laughs> I know. Like, I've been really impressed by my uh, my best friend. He has taken to, um, and he loves cooking, mm-hmm. um, but he has taken to always buying a whole chicken. He yeah. will never buy breast, and then he always breaks it down, and he will then use the carcass to make stock. He, you know, he uses yeah. the whole thing. So the, that's the cafe, we me. do exactly the same. We um, buy the whole chicken in from our local butcher really beautiful free-range chickens roast the whole thing down um uh, shred the um meat up Mm -hmm. white and dark meat all together and we make a um jerk mayonnaise and that's one of our best-seller sandwiches so we make a um, chicken in the jerk mayonnaise with um mango chutney and red onion and salads and it's really and where's my lunch (laughs) it's in bristol (laughs) Uh, um that's that's a real bestseller but then once we've done that we peel the before we shred up we peel the skin off Mm. and make chicken crackling which is uh, again where's my, where's my snack <laughs> that actually got put into uh, BuzzFeed's one of the 18 sandwiches tweet before you die oh hang on uh, hang. the crackling's in the sandwich yes okay, so you so make you make a sandwich. <laughs> when can I book a train to Bristol the sandwich is ham emmental chicken crackling and salad with mayonnaise and mustard on poppy seed bloomer yeah sounds okay yeah we've had people yeah. travel <laughs> a long way to come and get that sandwich I but was... it's an off menu thing it's not on the menu because we can only do it when we roast when the whole chicken, roast chicken. Yeah, so yeah. we make it and we get enough crackling for about I don't know, it depends how big the chicken is, but about four or five yeah. uh, of these sandwiches. And we make them up, and then it's just first come, first served. Okay. And then so we I will use tweet the... you when I'm yeah. on my way. <laughs> <laughs> I'll save yourself. And then we use the carcass to make soup. Nice. So like when that chicken, I feel like that chicken comes in, and we respect it fully, yeah, and we do everything we can with it. And um, so many people benefit yeah. from that chicken yeah. and enjoy it and, uh, you know... Uh, loving it so i feel like we're doing it justice i think in some ways that's often the way um uh meat's treated in a lot of places and it reminds me of um uh, the, the way Sp- uh, spain uh, spanish people treat uh, pigs often where they have almost a ceremony where the pig is slaughtered and then mm. every single thing is turned into something yeah and i think that's you know if you are going to kill an animal and you know if you're going to eat meat you have to face the reality that an animal has died for that yeah then I think it is the most respectful thing but is to... Like the, um, the croquettes that are on nearly every tapas yeah. restaurant menu are a prime example of this. So when the jamon uh, is carved off and it's all gone, they use the bone to make, make stock, yeah. but then the tiny, tiny little scraps that aren't going to make nice slices yeah. get mixed with like a bechamel and made into a... The world's uh, best food. <laughs> but that is not far off being vegetarian. It's basically yeah. a veggie uh, croquette with tiny, tiny specks of ham. Yeah. It's hilarious. I have to learn the Spanish every time I go and remind myself for, I'm vegetarian, no meat, not even ham. Because <laughs> they don't think of ham as meat in Spain at all. It's like Okay, it's I like could do that pepper. vegetarianism. Yeah. I'm vegetarian, Sin except car- for ham. I can't remember the word. It's like sin carne... Uh, yeah, that's a phrase for not not even <laughs> no meat. Yeah, and you, yeah. the amount of Spanish uh, waiters that have looked at me like what? Like, <laughs> but that's not actually meat. That's just ham. It's yeah. like salt, pepper, and ham are the, the seasonings, <laughs> seasonings in Spain. Yeah, but yeah. um, you know that is a really brilliant. That pig has mm. been reared and died, and then 
cured and it you know the time that it's taken and mm. the investment in that pig you've got to get every single bit out of it and um then yeah use the bone to make a stock mm. and like that pig has had it's a good uh, yeah a good innings. <laughs> good innings um so you've worked in hospitality for a very long time your yeah. first job was as a seater yeah. at browns it, uh, yeah well, not my first ever job i used oh, to okay. work in a um <laughs> clothes shop in essex labels for less designer clothes at discount prices <laughs> you've still got it <laughs> Um, I used to do that, but when I went to uh, college, I replied to a job ad on our notice boards. Mm. This is before the interwebs. Um, <laughs> there was a, a, a postcard on the job board at my college um, saying they were looking for seaters, and that was at Browns in mm. Cambridge, um, which now is a massive chain and there's loads of them. But when I first started working there at Browns, there were, I think there were only four yeah, or five. Yeah, there was a few of them. Yeah, yeah they were very and, classy. Yeah, but yeah. it's where, you know, I was saying we used to go out a lot as a family. We used <laughs> to go to Browns in Cambridge when I was a kid, and to me, it was like just the absolute. Yeah dogs bollocks <laughs> like to go there was such a treat the yeah. menu is really right up kids streets you know you'd sit with a milkshake as big as your head sure. and like they had it was a brasserie and they did what they did really well so it was um pies and burgers and um some pasta and some salads but a really small menu mm. um compared to now it's you know it's completely changed but we used to go there and sit around this massive enormous enormous table like three families all mm. together and the waiting staff were all full time. So it's a really kind of American environment yeah. where everybody's there as a professional yeah. waiter. Um, and just used to sit there. And it's so funny because this guy, he's probably like in his early 20s and he was probably whatever. But I just used to watch the waiters and just be in awe. They mm. hardly ever used a pad and pen. They'd come and take yeah. the orders for all the drinks from the table. And I would just sit there like, whoa, that is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> like, mom, he didn't even write anything down. And they'd come back with a tray of drinks and hand it all to the right people. And yeah. I just was in heaven. And um, used to, yeah, have burgers and milkshakes and just absolutely love it so when i saw this advert on the mm. board that they were looking for staff at browns i was like mum they're looking for people <laughs> at browns it was like for me that was the absolute like dream 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 and um so i was 16 17 turned up there for a job and yeah the only people that were part-time with the seaters because it was only a position that they needed um and the busy evenings and weekends yeah, sure. yeah so it's basically like a sort of maitre d hostess sort of position but really really central to the workings of the restaurant because you choose who goes where yeah and all of the waiting staff had their own sections sure i then became a waitress after i'd been a seater and we used to get paid one pound fifty an hour this is before minimum wage came sure. in i still now many many years later have never earned as much as i earned when i was waitressing at Brown's. Wow. cash in hand like we used to, if we earned less than 100 quid in in a friday night and this was in the mid nineties, yeah, yeah. we were believe really pissed off. So wow. the seaters decide who's going to go where. So and you treat your seaters very well, yeah, we're, or really harshly. So you soon sure. learn. Like I turned up as a young kid, and all these waiting staff who'd been there for like eight years, and this was their job, and this mm. is how they make their money. Um, really, really, you know, whips me into place. And I was, <laughs> I was the the young kids in this team of older professional people hmm. and you you know fall into line really quickly and you learn how it works and um that was my first experience and I just felt so at home and that sure. feeling of being involved in the restaurant that I used to go to as a treat still never left me no always even you when you pleasure. see the background workings of how <laughs> yeah. it actually happens I still was surrounded by people who um would doing it for a full-time job and yeah. it, I realised this is actually something that people do and you can work in restaurants and it's not just like oh I'm in my summer holidays I'm a student I'll sure. do some waitressing yeah. I like, can't get my acting gig I'm yeah exactly <laughs> so was that it then was that the kind of spark lit and, yeah okay so I started working there then um, I finished college went off on my gap year sure so I saved up my money while I was waitressing to go on my gap year Went away, broke my back when I was in Australia. Jeez. Uh, uh, uh. Can we get some like, dramatic music now? <laughs> I broke my back we when I was in Australia. <laughs> oh, I'll do my Just own. for you, Emily. <laughs> um, dramatic pause. <laughs> I broke my back and I um, had to come home early. So mm. my trip um, to Southeast Asia. I Please was in tell Australia. me Australia was not your first place. I did. <laughs> that would was, be no, not much. I, I did um, Singapore and then Bali, and then Australia, and I travelled from Melbourne up the east coast, mm. and um, it happened in Mission Beach up in Queensland, and that yeah. was it. So I was meant to be going to Malaysia and Thailand, and that never happened. But I came back home. Um, 
I decided that I didn't want to go to uni and get into debt. So my plan was to come back, waitress for another year, because yeah. I knew how much money I could make, waitress for another year and go to uni with money in the bank. Sure. That was my plan. Um, so I hadn't applied. And when I got back, I thought, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to go back and never leave because I was surrounded by other people who were there. Yeah. Time. I was like, I don't want to be someone that's never been to uni. I really see something I want to do. Sure. So I applied through clearing some reason chose Bristol never been there before in my life and I thought sounds good Bristol or Brighton were my two and my mum's now moved to Brighton so I get to have them both these dream towns that I've never been to yeah. um, and my old boss from Browns in Cambridge was opening a restaurant in <laughs> um, Bristol so when I finished uni um, I'd worked pretty much full time the whole way through uni Yeah. Um, I had one of those ridiculous courses where you did like 10 hours a week so I just carried on waitressing um, and then uh, finished uni and Pete said I'm moving to open this restaurant will you come and be assistant manager nice and everyone else was like i've got to move to london i'm gonna finish you know start my career yeah, i'd yeah, grown yeah. up in london i didn't have that urge i loved bristol mm. and i never left and that was and then i just went from job to job to job to job um never applied for a job in my life got poached from one place to the next yeah. and worked my way up from waitress assistant manager um then i ran a restaurant inside a, like a members club and then um a i was gm at a gastro pub by the time i was 25 mm. Wow. And then I opened my own place. So when you opened your own place, mm-hmm. you had never cooked no. professionally. No. So in my head, that's either very brave or slightly naive. Which was it? <laughs> brave. Yeah. Brave. I think my mum has instilled a real can-do attitude in yeah. me. That is no such word as can't do that in mm. my mum's, which is just like complete bullshiness. Like, yeah. just, I, just the thing is, I, yeah, just do it. And I knew really clearly how I didn't want it to be sure. more than how I did want it to be and um, I've told the story about how I opened the cafe a million times so I won't <laughs> bore you with it but um, uh, yeah I, I'd watched and learnt and um, just kind of absorbed and read and yeah. taught myself and you know we're not it's a takeaway cafe sure. so all of that um, skill base of like running service was not not needed. So not needed. Sure. Um, we were making loads of delicious things before lunch, and then it's still the same format now. Eleven years later, we we're making loads of delicious things, um, getting in fresh bread and making sandwiches to order during lunchtime, mm-hmm. and making um, soup and cakes and coffee and stuff as well. So um, it wasn't, you know, I didn't need to be uh, skilled in sure. running a restaurant. Yeah, kitchen. yeah, yeah. Was, because that would be really stupid. <laughs> yeah, just give it a go. It'd be fun. So, <laughs> Plates the, flying. <laughs> so if the cafe's been there for 11 years, you yeah. must have seen food in Bristol change dramatically. Yeah. Because... And Bristol full stop. Oh, and completely. Yeah. Like, Bristol to me, I the first time I visited, mm. uh, you gave me a tour around yeah. the city. Well, the first time I remember visiting, I may have been there before. Oh, no, that's... So, <laughs> so I had drunk, been there forgot. before. <laughs> um, I had been to Bristol before many times, but I never got any further than Hart's Bakery. Right. So I'd get off the train, go to the bakery, that's get back good, on the train. That, I thought you were going to say something worse. That's a wonderful place. <laughs> if you're going to go to one place and leave again, then Hart's is the one. But, but none of those places existed when you opened. So no. a lot of the places that you took me to mm. just didn't exist no, 11 years ago. No, things have changed ago. so much and all the time. Since yeah. you came, if you came back again now, it would be loads of new places that yeah. I could take you to. Yeah. How have you seen it change? How how has the city adapted kind of to food? How have you, like for your business as well? How have you seen um, that rise of food in Bristol? Well, f- food is Bristol, and Bristol is food. Yeah, completely. They're totally tied together for me. You yeah. know, I've I've been part of the food world in Bristol now for many, many, many years. And I did find it when you were taking us around. It did feel like I was walking around with the mayoress of the town because <laughs> everyone was like, "Hi, Ellie. Hi, Ellie." It, it was like walking around with someone who knows. I think it was probably because I was with you. Oh my god, his head from the baseball. No, it wasn't. The only person who did that was. Um, Oh, the lovely girl from Toots Bakery? Our Toots, yeah. Our Toots Bakery, yeah. Tamsin, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone else was like, who? No, Who's right, whatever. Person? You're mega famous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sat here doing a podcast in my filthy kitchen. <laughs> super, super famous. No, you're like massively recognised blood, aren't you? So if I was walking around with you, I think it would be you that they were sure, staring Ellie, at. Yeah. Um, but Good yeah, I, am, I, I know a lot of people mm. and... Um, where I took you, I took you to places where my friends run. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> when I get there, yeah, make out I'm mega famous. They all did it. I paid but them I think off. It's part of the fact that you have been part of that food scene mm. before it really existed. You know, eleven years ago, Bristol. I'm sure there was really great things, but that culture of um, what seemed to me like an incredibly friendly, 
yeah. collaborative food city, I think is definitely you know within the last. 10 I years. credit social media massively for mm. that as well because all you know I was running a business on my own in basically the outskirts of town. What mm. happened is. Bristol got bombed massively during the war and there wasn't really a centre. So what's called the centre is just called the centre just because they were pick a point in the map and stick it in. But uh, the whole kind of shopping centre of Bristol shifted because Mm. they built Cabot Circus, which is this new shopping development. And that's right next to my cafe. So from being on the outskirts of town in a kind of part of town where I was just surrounded by uh, charities mostly and, you know, uh, the probation office is opposite, was opposite <laughs> me and, yeah, some really nice sorts. But, um, all, you know, Bristol Drugs Project, all of those sort of things were around me. And we were on the outskirts of town and then the whole centre kind of shifted mm. to the sort of businesses that opened around the cafe changed. Excuse me, got hair in my mouth. Um, it, yeah, it changed and um, loads and loads of places are opening all the time. Yeah. And... Um, unlike London young people can still afford to try things out whereas in London like unless you've got investment and investment means other people get a say in stuff you can't just do your own thing I literally do whatever I want I am chairman of the board if I (laughs) I want to do something the very next day I can change it you see that has been something interesting for me because uh, last year I was going to open somewhere. I had locked into it and I had... A clean you know, eating... Oh, yeah, obviously. Uh, bar. It fits me perfectly. <laughs> um, and I had these plans and it basically got stopped in its tracks because I could not afford to do it in London. You can. And I considered investment, but for me and knowing how I work and knowing the sort of place I wanted to open, that wouldn't work for me mm. um, because I want a small place that I can do exactly what I want. Yeah. Um, and annoyingly, that means I, I won't probably do that in London. Mm. Um, but I say to all my friends that the, the only other place that I would consider living is Brighton and Bristol mm. because they're too... There's no room in Bristol, I'm sorry. <laughs> Everybody's moving. Last week I spent uh, most of a week uh, with friends who... Uh, I've just moved. Who, who, no, who are wanting to oh, move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I kind of... I've lived all over the city, so yeah. I know what areas are good for different things mm. and what they might be looking for and help them with like relocation services basically which <laughs> I might start charging for but um coming to Bristol and decide to move there you just realize you know people move from London and it's like oh my god the idea of being able to walk to work yeah I live like five minutes from yeah. my cafe um quality of life in Bristol is incredible yeah. if you're into surfing for example you're already halfway to Cornwall which sure. you know from London on a Friday night take you an hour just to get out of mm. town um, and you, your work and and life in Bristol. Well, mine is all one and the same. But, totally. Um, you know, you could finish work and start your yeah. weekend straight away. There, there was just something incredibly um, friendly and um, really attractive. The, the food scene seemed really vibrant, mm-hmm. and um, it, it was just a place that I kept thinking, "Yeah, I could see myself here." And that's yeah. normally a really good indicator to me. Yeah. Because. I don't think there's many places that I can see myself living in. San Francisco was one. I felt like that when I went to Barcelona, that. really. I was, yeah. I got there and I was like, I can totally stay. I'm not, not going to go home. <laughs> I mean, um, not all based of on nothing, really, apart from sherry. But <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna, just going to stay. Yeah, I think you love sherry more than anybody I know. Yeah, that's yeah. my title. <laughs> Literally, in your, in your book you have, um, because the book's all about 5-2, uh, the 5-2 diet... You have a part about the alcohol, uh, the calorie content of alcohol. Yeah, and you know you've got the regular things, and then it's just sherry. Yeah, you know at, at the time. I mean, I suppose it was having a kind of fashionable moment, but it's, this is kind of slightly seen as old-fashioned drink. And I like, am oh. evangelical about no, sherry. Don't. It's like my <laughs> one of my main passions in life, and to watch people try, it, even if they then decide they don't like it, sure, but just to challenge themselves and to. Um, you know, uh, question their misconceptions about sure. sherry is like one of my biggest joys. I love it, <laughs> and I've written all about it in the new book as well. Oh, so your your uh, chocolate pots with the, the Vedra yeah. Yeah, 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 is is delicious. So Thank I you. will. Um, oh, it's nice. I will agree you. that sherry is delicious. I'm not going to argue with you there. I could bang on. A, we can do a whole separate. <laughs> podcast. I might actually just start a sherry podcast. Just talk, very niche. Me, Ellie, very niche. Me bullying people into trying sherry. I can see it's going to be going to end mega. interestingly. <laughs> Um, you mentioned social media and Mm. I think for you social media has been incredibly important Mm. because your whole book came about through social media so uh, quick background is that you 
um, started doing 5-2, which is the intermittent fasting diet. Uh-huh. And to me, it seemed like it was a very subconscious, you know, unconscious thing. It didn't seem like you were planning anything. You just started posting pictures of what you were making mm. and um, you started hashtagging it. And the following from that seemed to become very quickly. Mm. Like people were very intrigued by it. And that then turned into a book. Yeah. So how how did the 5 diet come into your world? Was it through the, the TV show? Uh, yes. Michael Mosley? Yes. So, um, but not, re- not really, actually. Okay. Initially, uh, two friends of mine in Bristol who were both food writers mm. um, started doing it. And lo- both of them lost weight. So when I heard about this thing, I then went back onto the iPad and watched the program. I didn't sure. watch it when it first went out. Um, I was like, this is fascinating. But there was, you know, the whole thing of me posting pictures and uh, there was never, ever any plan of like, I'll do this. <laughs> I'll post pictures. People will like it. And then I'll get a book deal. Yeah. So not how it worked at yeah. all. Um, I put pictures up so that I was answerable to someone else apart from myself. Because I... Um, I'm shit at letting myself down. I would yeah. go out of my way to, like, if someone's expecting me to do something, then I'll do it. So sure. knowing that I had an audience of people who were enjoying what I was doing and looking forward to it, that kept me going. Sure. And I surprised myself. I'd never, ever stuck to anything in my life, ever. And I really surprised myself by my kind of commitment to mm. it. And I was, um, I really, really stuck to it. And um, I tell the whole story about what happened in the book, but um, my friends had lost a lot of weight. I was really impressed by how well it worked for them. And just like them, my life revolves around food. It's my work, but it's also my joy. And there's absolutely no way that I would do anything that meant that I couldn't carry on the way I wanted to. Any sort of um, diet plan that told me to leave out any kinds of food not happening um anything that involved me having to count all the time not happening it's just like i would rather be fat than any of those things like they none of them won um and then my friends explained how this worked to me and i looked into it more and i went back and i watched the pokemon iplayer and i thought i reckon i can make this work because in seven days you've got to pick two Mm that you are careful on and the rest of the time you carry on and you do whatever you like and I there's this clip in the program which I just wish I could have put a sound file into the book because they're sitting in the car yeah. and they go and get a, a um, drive through and, and Dr Mosley says to the American scientist that's doing the research so you, you can really eat whatever you like and she's like whatever you like <laughs> that like, be, repeat 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 this is it must be the most asked question you get because I think some people just assume that the 5 diet means actually you still have to be really careful on the fast, uh, the feast days as well. But I don't eat loads of shit, generally. No, I don't, no. So, although I am an absolute glutton when I want mm. to be, I, but I don't ever... I eat whatever I want. Yeah. And whatever I want, my tastes are different to other sure. people. So I don't want to eat McDonald's no, every day. No, of course day. not. Of course and not. If, you, if you are someone that wants to eat McDonald's every day, then my definition of eat whatever you like would be different. It's sure. I eat whatever I like, yeah. but I crave things um, that other people might not crave. So, you know. You really... also um, made a point in the book that the likelihood of you doing the kind of 5 2 in your style is that by the time you've been doing it for a while, you actually will start craving those things that are slightly healthier because you have them in your fridge. Mm-hmm. They need using up. Mm. And by doing the fast days, your brain almost resets itself slightly to not wanting to gorge almost on yeah. the you know the crapper side the of things. The things that I learned while doing it are many and varied. Mm. And actually weight loss is just a part of a it. Part of it yeah. um, the... People, people talk about, like, if you do juice fast and stuff, they, you know, people talk about the benefits of, like, oh, reset my taste buds, whatever. <laughs> Honestly, one fast day yeah. and the next day things taste like a treat. Mm-hmm. So, um, for example, um, you can have whatever you like on mm. a fast day, but obviously there's different ways of making up 500 calories or 600 sure. for a man. And you can eat absolutely loads of very low-calorie things, like... Yeah. Um, so anything with a high... That's an ice cream delivery. For <laughs> me. <laughs> so uh, we're back. Um, that was my wonderful ice cream man delivering me about fifteen different flavors of ice cream to sample. You know, those very fla- average day. Yeah, those flavors look lush. Anyway, back anyway, to where was I? Talking about salad. 
bollocks. Oh, um, so tell me about these hundred calorie foods. <laughs> you can have some ice cream. And you, like as I was saying, you can have whatever you like. Yeah, you can. Um, but uh, I think what where my um, success came from and what people started really liking was the fact that I was demonstrating that you know the way that I cook and the things that I like to eat there was no way that when it came to fast food I was going to let go of that no, and start of eating r- weird bought yeah, diet yeah, things diet whatever food. just not going to happen mm-hmm. so what I started doing was to really really explore how I could as much how far I could push this mm. idea and um things with high water content like yeah. um salad yeah, things, yeah, obviously yeah incredibly low so if you know how to cook and you know how to put flavors together yeah. um all of the five two books that had come out up until that point and there had been a massive tons of tons them, of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. um a lot of paperbacks a lot of boring dull paperbacks they're not going to inspire you to actually cook and what had happened is they wanted um publishers wanted to get books out quickly because people mm. were interested in this um so they had gone through their archives and pulled together recipes. Oh, interesting, yeah. Um, but they had been written by people that hadn't done the 5-2. Yeah. So from an outsider's point of view, you think, well, what we need is sub-500 calorie recipes. Yeah. And seeing this on the cover of magazines just drives me insane. 5-2 recipes, 5... And they get it yeah. because they think people are going to buy the magazine. You open up and there's a recipe that's like 485 calories. Yeah. And they reckon that that can be categorised as a 5-2 recipe. Yeah. If you just eat that all yeah. day and nothing else. And when you actually do the 5-2, what you realise is that you need to have other ways of yeah. making up the day so i did this for a long time before the book came out yeah, yeah, yeah. so i really feel like i'm speaking from a, a very well experienced position that i lived this and mm. i know what you need to do these fast days come twice a week the next day you eat whatever you like yeah if you wanted to have a latte on a fast day, you can, but it's going to take a big old chunk of yeah. your calories. So what you start doing is finding ways to, like if I want to have two coffees a day, then I can have um, an espresso or an Americano yeah. with carefully measured milk or whatever. Which is six um, to eight calories yeah, for yeah, a black that coffee. Well done, yeah. I read that last night. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I don't generally drink black coffee. Sure. I prefer to drink flat whites. Um, but... I do still want the caffeine. Yeah. So I will have that. But then the next day, you go to a cafe and you queue up and you really miss the like viscosity of fats. Yeah. It's just a delicious sensation in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. So um, dairy products and things like that, you end up having to be very sparse with. So you'll make like a massive salad with um, a little bit of um, feta on the top or whatever. And you can mm. make delicious food. But then the next day, you've opened up this packet of feta. Yeah. You've used a teaspoon of it. You've got it open in your fridge. And then you find, because I'm so massively anti-waste mm. I'm not going to buy things for fast day recipes and then just yep. oh what I really want today is a pizza I haven't been able to have one yesterday I'm like actually what I need to do is to use up the stuff but yeah. now I can deep fry it or yep. I can <laughs> <laughs> batter it or whatever I want to do but the next day everything is such a delicious treat and you you appreciate things in a way that well, that I didn't before. Like mm. you stop um, shuffling food in your face yeah. subconsciously. Yeah. You start thinking about um, what a treat things are, and you start buying really nice things mm. because you think, God, tomorrow I can't wait. I'm going to have bread and butter and the things I couldn't have yesterday. Yeah. And why would I have a piece of shitty sliced bread mm. with you know spreadable? Look, I'm going to go and buy the absolute and yeah, everything's a treat. I think um, that was. Uh something I definitely noticed because I did the 5-2 for a while and I actually I am planning on going doing it again because it fits my lifestyle it works incredibly really well. efficiently it does um, but as much as I think it's a really kind of slightly wanky term I do think that 5-2 is kind of almost a technique of mindfulness for food because it makes you think about what you're eating it mm. makes you think about what you're putting into your body and I think that affect rolls on Definitely to your does. fast uh, your feast days absolutely and um, it makes you put the brakes on and stops totally. you and just think okay and that's not the way that i naturally cook i am no. not somebody who measures anything mm. i don't bake like you do so you know measuring spoons never get taken out sure, at home yeah. I, when i'm baking at the cafe or whatever then i do but i don't weigh and measure things i'm very much mm-hmm. we joke before the book deal that if i ever did a book it was going to be called chuck it in 180 like everything was <laughs> just like shove it together do it i'm a really impatient cook i'm a very um 
I'm not a lazy cook at all, but I don't want anything that's too complicated. Sure, sure. So when it came to unfussy, unfussy, and when it came to fast days, suddenly I was having to change my um, way of approaching the kitchen. Ooh. So I had to have the scales out, had to have measuring spoons. Everything's got to be done really, really carefully, yeah. which was really not me. Sure. But there are benefits to working like that and of not course. being so slapdash. And so on the feast days, I don't. I didn't start suddenly weighing and measuring everything, but I started being a bit more conscious of what I was mm. doing and um, the stuff that was in my fridge were things that I bought for fast days yeah. specifically rather than just go to shops and buy whatever I like so then I'd open my fridge the next day and it'd be full of delicious yeah. fresh things um, and the way that I cooked and organised myself and um, batch cooking yeah. became a thing in my life Absolutely. that it never was before because if you get it if you do the cooking and the prep on a day when you can eat whatever you like then you're not kind of manically when you're hungry and tired having to weigh things is the yeah, worst totally. so if you do that when it doesn't really matter and you can you know eat a slice of pizza watch Whilst EastEnders and make yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly and have it done so sure. that on your fast days it's done in advance that became something that was actually actually this isn't just about the fact that I've calorie counted it's the fact that I've done it yeah, yeah. and I can come home from work and um, I'm not going to start eating ready meals that mm. I bought from the supermarket, but I can eat ready meals that I've made myself. Sure. And I've got a freezer full of yeah, delicious yeah. things that then can be um, reheated and I can pimp up however I want. Totally, totally. So, and then, you know, people that have got little kids, people that are busy, all sorts of other people benefit from this um, batch cooking approach. And I learned so much from doing the 5 2 that are nothing to do with weight loss. Totally. Nice. So, um, which leads us on to my second I book. <laughs> I was going to be the king of segues. Um, so that book is uh, Fast Days and Feast Days, yeah. which came out um, about six, seven months. Oh, almost a year ago then. Yeah. So not far off a year ago. Um, and your second book comes out in June. Yeah. What can you tell us about that book? It's funny because people think, God, there's two books so close together, but you know how long the book takes to yeah. write and how long the whole process takes. I handed Fast Days and Feast Days in the September before and then it came out in the yeah. April and then it it's like over a year later mm. that, so I you know it wasn't as quick as it might seem you know I announced that I was doing another book not that long after the first one had come out yeah, and people yeah, yeah. think god you're churning them out really quick but <laughs> it's not like that at no. all um so the new book has been announced so I'm allowed to talk about it it's oh, good. um it's called Ellie Pear Let's Eat nice um and I'm just massively chuffed because my publishers have let me write the book that I really wanted to nice. write. So what I was worried was going to happen is that because I'd done this first book... You get pigeonholed. Yeah. Mm. And literally everything that I know and have got to say on the matter is in that first book. Yeah. Like, the, I, that's my only... That's as far as my <laughs> knowledge on this subject goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have squeezed my brain and my knowledge mm. and my experience out into the pages of that book and have nothing else to say on the matter. <laughs> <laughs> I... Um, I don't. I didn't want to write another five two book. Yeah. But it sold really well. They were really happy with it, and I thought, oh my god, they're going to ask me to do another one. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to go back to working in that way again because writing a book with those sort of recipes in is a very yeah, tricky tricky thing to do, and the whole editing process and everything is just really, really, really complicated and specific so because specific. of the calorie counting. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I just wanted to fill a book with. Delicious um, things. Delicious things, yeah. <laughs> Literally, screw it. Yeah. Like, all the good <laughs> no, things. but I kind of like, I waited and I thought, if that's what they want me to do, then that's what I'm going to have to do. But I'd really rather do a book that wasn't based around the 5-2. Sure. And um, they said, what we really want you to do is the stuff that we think people have like particularly uh, loved in the first book. It's those kind of, um, I always called them Tuesday night dinners because mm. it's like absolutely, I believe that food should always be simple and it should always yeah. be special like there's no even if i'm just on my own at home on a tuesday night i still garnish my food <laughs> that's just me yeah. i love it and um, style it yeah it. <laughs> but that's you know i get joy from that and yeah. it makes me happy totally. and i don't uh slop something on a plate and eat it because you get joy from food not only through the eating of it but sure. the making it and the looking at it and Completely. the smell of it and everything food is you know all your senses and i get great pleasure from making even if nobody else is going to see even if my phone died god what a mm. thought um you know even if no one's going to see it just for myself i yeah. like making myself nice food um and uh i wanted to fill a book with stuff that was simple and special special nice. and simple and those two things are it's not an ampersand in the middle no. it's like a multiplication symbol yeah. they they need each other and um those two things 
always a consistent through my food even if i'm you know making pet lunch to take on the coach like i did yesterday or um you know having people around for dinner or whatever yeah. i'm not suddenly people are going to come around start like making french sauces and you know yeah, yeah. i just because i don't eat meat as well i don't often um well, I don't know if it's because I don't need it, but I don't often use my oven. Sure. Most of my stuff is quick stuff on the hob. Yeah. I don't roast um, joints, for example. So um, a lot of stuff is on the hob. It's really quick. Uh, people want quick food, but I'm not, well, that's not hard for me because that's what I do anyway. Yeah, yeah, I don't sure. do things that take ages. Yeah. Um, um, it's pescatarian again. I was going to ask, is it in there? Yeah. yeah, it's pescatarian again um, and just full of really delicious things. But the interesting thing about it which i think hopefully people are gonna enjoy is in the first book there'll be batch cooked things and then suggestions of how you could serve them but what i've done this time is they're not just serving suggestions they're full recipes oh nice so in the first chapter um freezeable dishes Mm -hmm. but then four or five full ways to use that dish um so for example make a big batch of refried beans nice um divide it up into portions in your freezer and then um completely separate ways to use it yeah so you're not eating the same thing over and over again and then because there are i hmm, i've lost count i think there are six things in that first chapter so absolutely loads of recipes so if you made those six base recipes you'd have like you know 30 30, odd yeah yeah, yeah. different ways to serve it and the idea is that Guys, Hackney Council. <laughs> um, the idea is that uh, I'm just hopefully kicking people off on the, you know, there yeah. are so many ways to do this. So I think it's a really nice way because to me, that's a way of actually giving someone uh, the power and the confidence in mm. their own kitchen. Because I think a lot of people are sometimes not trapped by recipes, but feel, okay, I have to follow this recipe to the T, and yeah. then I don't know what else to do outside of that. Yeah. But I think the way that structures it will help give people confidence and they start their own thinking yeah, process. Yeah, that's about, my dream. I could also use that in this and that. That's my dream. And then the second chapter are non-freezeable things, but again, uh, like building blocks. Nice. So uh, teach you how to make roast plums mm-hmm. and then three different ways that you could use it. Teach you how to make satay sauce, three different ways you can nice. use it. So just building up your kind of cooking vocabulary yeah. and teaching yourself like, whoa, I've learned how to make this sauce. And oh, that could go really well with that you know chicken thing that i already make mm-hmm. or i you know there's a jamie oliver recipe for this and i could try it with that salad instead and yeah. like that is the beginning of learning how to cook yeah, yeah, and yeah. going off on your own and you know flying the nest and that's but when i see someone make something from my book and say oh i'm really sorry but i changed this like don't ever apologize yeah, yeah, i'm no, so totally. happy if you made it and you made it your own that is the best treat yeah. for me ever totally. as long as it was still delicious <laughs> but you know that is so joyful to see people get the confidence up and and realize that, like oh i didn't have any um course yet so i tried it with squash instead and yeah. it worked really well you have learnt to cook yeah, 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 <laughs> well <definitely>. done <laughs> that's Excellent. that's um brilliant and um, i hope that's what the book and then the third chapter are full uh, menus nice so they're double page spreads um from two people to big groups, but everything, including drinks, to like put on a nice big spread and encouraging people to like, like I was saying with my grandma, buy stuff in if that works better yeah. for you. Um, mixed mixed with some stuff that you can do in advance. So it's taking everything that I've learned through catering for so many years as well. Things that you can do in advance so that mm. when your mates turn up, you're not stressed totally. and you're not like a headless chicken because entertaining people shouldn't be like that it no it should shouldn't be, be stressful ever it no, should no. be fun yeah. <laughs> or else why are you doing it I, so having some stuff in the fridge that's ready to go mixed perfect. with a couple of last minute things that maybe your mates could help you with yeah. when they get there or for me the, the worst thing about when you have someone over is the idea that you're going to spend the entire time in the kitchen because what's the point of having friends over you've got the best layout here that people can sit know, at the table is, and you can put most, next to it it's one of the things dreamy. I love about my place is the fact that it is a great entertaining space yeah it is uh, not that anybody can see that but it is a really yeah it's a nice thing about having my space um, so that book is called... Eddie Pear, Let's Eat. Let's Eat, and yeah. it's out in June. June, yeah. Excellent. Um, 15th, I think. 15th of June. Yeah. Um, so we're going to move on to our second segment, which mm-hmm. is the shopping list. So okay. as per usual, this is just a little bit of fun, and it's just to kind of understand your tastes a little bit more. Okay. So uh, you just need to choose between each thing. So we're going to say, uh, first off, courgette or kale? Oh man, I love kale so much. <laughs> so much that you have jumpers with the word kale on. I started like a off hipster's and this, dream. It was it was a joke. A hashtag hundred ways with kale, but I did it, and I, I think I'm up to ninety nine. I don't know. I paused then. It just seemed kind of a comedy to not actually quite get to the hundred. But I, it's nothing to do with its health. I love kale. Yeah, full yeah. stop. I love its intense. Uh, 
irony green flavor that puts a lot of people off that's yeah. what i love about it i think a lot of people if they haven't prepared it properly and they've had the horrible tough stalks if you buy those bags yeah, of prepped yeah, yeah, kale yeah. they're full of the bits that you shouldn't be yeah. eating um i really really love kale and um i it's nothing to do with it being uh, trendy fashion but it's cheap yeah, it's really nutritious cheap. um it doesn't bin man um <laughs> it doesn't go sad and floppy so you can make salads yeah, for yeah, yeah. a buffet for example well and it will time. stay Very hardy I, it's just a, it's a real hero and not, i don't mean like it's a superfood hero it's just it's a great vegetable and i feel like it's time has come <laughs> <laughs> um feast or fast um feast feast yeah um i i stand by the five two it works brilliantly mm-hmm. if you want to lose weight um I, I, it works mm. full stop um for me anyway um but the idea <laughs> of fasting every day is like yeah. the exact reason why i wouldn't fast every day is Completely. because yeah so feast this one's probably trickier because you were born in one of them and mm. live in the other one yeah. so bristol or london Bristol. Okay. I I moved there and never left, and it's really easy to get to London. I love coming to London. I love coming home. Yeah. I went away to Cornwall in the holidays, and I just I was I got back to Bristol and was walking down Gloucester Road, and I had this rush of like, I'm so lucky to come home somewhere yeah. that I'm like I miss Bristol so much when I'm away, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I come back and just feel mega chuffed that I get to live somewhere where I can live the life that I want to live. So. Yeah. And then I come to Brist- come to London when I want. Yeah. 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 Um, tea or coffee? Um, different times of day, different things. If I, I first drink of the day, I like to have as tea. Yeah. Um, it always makes me feel a bit pukey if I drink coffee on an empty <laughs> stomach. But the idea yeah. of never having coffee again mortifies me. So if I had to pick one, I think I'd say coffee. Okay. I like love coffee flavored things. Coffee ice cream. Yeah. yeah. Coffee, well, you can all... try the coffee ice cream that arrived just after. Yes. Mind vibes worked. <laughs> Um, and this one is in relation to your uh, cafe and mm. what you serve. Brownies or frittata? Because uh, they're the two things you post yeah. every day. Yeah, we always we always, always do have brownie, yeah. Um, I think I'm team savoury, so I'd, yeah. I'd um, go frittata because they are infinitely changeable. And uh, yeah, I'm, d- I'm definitely a, a salty, savoury person rather than sweet. Sure. Um, so for our last... You chuck me out then. No, that's fine. fine. <laughs> Bums rush out the door. You just don't get any brownies. That's fine. <laughs> I'm waiting for the bagels. <laughs> so um, our final section is the recycling bin. Yeah. So this is my uh, very subtly rechanged version of Room 101. Okay. Um, in that we've just changed the name, but it's okay. still the same thing. Um, and it's an ingredient or a trend or something in food that you just cannot stand and you have to try and convince me to put it into the proverbial recycling bin okay so i was like i don't know what to say for this but then i thought of it and instantly could feel my blood pressure rising (laughs) and i was like i know what i'm gonna say so for me and this has changed a lot but not eating meat during the 90s this was something that i came across all the time and it used to make me livid and that is going out for Sunday lunch with mm-hmm. your mates and the vegetarian option being something that doesn't go with all of the Sunday roast stuff. So you look down the menu and it's like roast beef with Yorkshire puddings and all the veg, uh, roast chicken or linguine. <laughs> and you feel like a leper sitting sure. in the corner having to have something that's not a roast. I would rather just have all the veg. It's like any sort of pie, people like bemoan nut roast. A good nut roast is Delicious. I love. Delicious, yeah, completely. Um, but if you go to a pub and they've got like a a slice of tart or a pie or something that you can have with all of the other veg mm-hmm. you then because Sunday lunch is all about sitting around the table and sharing and yeah. like having big bowls of things that you pass around the table and if you've got something in front of you that doesn't go with anything else then you feel like a complete outsider and for me it just demonstrates a chef's absolutely like disregard for yeah. what they're doing and the fact that people are coming for Sunday lunch to sit and eat together and putting a, a linguine with tomato and chilli sauce on a Sunday lunch menu is unforgivable is that the laziest dish ever oh god and just crap yeah, like I, I no think... linguine with tomato sauce is, is great oh, not for be, Sunday lunch in a pub when you're with your mates no. No. I think you're right I think there's a definite disregard for you know other people's uh, desires and what they might want to eat and it's kind of instantly saying we don't really care and we yeah. don't want you here so yeah. this is what you have take it or leave yeah it. exactly and I in that situation I would First of all, my first choice would be to leave, go somewhere mm-hmm. else. But if it was booked, for example, and everyone else was really up for, oh, they do the best roasts here, whatever, I would just have all the other stuff. So yeah, sure. uh, Yorkshire puddings and all the veg and everything, for me, that's like dreamy and I love it. Sure. And I wouldn't feel, you know, one slice of meat taken off that plate. A Sunday roast is a really good example of using meat as a 
part of it because totally, there's so yeah. many other good things on the table. That... Yeah, completely. I mean, I would have to agree. I think that kind of disregard and that um, that style of, you know, oh, just put something basic on for the mm. vegetarian, I think is sad, but I also think it's thankfully dying. Yeah, it is changing. So those. I will happily put it in the recycling bin, but thankfully it's already halfway in already. Good. I would I would like to think. Yes, things um, are getting so a lot better. In the bin. Cool. So if people want to follow you on social media, mm-hmm. as you're such a big social media person, where can they follow you? Where can they stalk <laughs> um, your I'm, frittatas? I'm Ellie Pear on Instagram. Yeah. E-W-L-Y-P-E-A-R. Um, and I'm Pear Cafe on Twitter. Excellent. Well, thank you for ha- thank you for having me. Um, nope, that's not how that works. Uh, thank you for coming along, and um, yeah, good luck on the next book. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much.